Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to The Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. Thanks for joining the Ask Stephanie show on the Coffee Clatch Network. I'd like to thank our sponsors for tonight's show, Glide Bikes. Glide Bikes are lightweight and intended to teach children of all abilities how to balance and ride a bicycle. Their patented designs makes learning to ride fun and easy. It is currently being used in special needs departments, and you can get a 10% Coffee Clatch discount using code C-O-K-L-A-T-C-H at checkout. Go to www.glidebikes.com for more. Tonight I have Sharon Thomas with us. She's the director and founder of Maya, M-A-I-A-A, Parenting Resource Network. Sharon is here. She's going to be talking to us about executive functioning skills, and I'm really so interested in speaking to her about this because I'm, as you know, I'm a mom of three kids, and my kids are in elementary school, and I have one in middle school, and I definitely see the demands put on kids today at an early age, um, especially um, in, both in and out of school, doing homework, remembering when tests are going to be, setting the alarms, even just wake up for school are all, are all skills that kids really need to be successful students and one day become successful adults. And Sharon is here to help us learn more about these skills and what to do if your kids are struggling in this area. So welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate your having me on. It's such a pleasure uh, to speak with the parent community, uh, especially because I do think that parents are so bombarded with information that sometimes even where to turn and what resources to look for uh, is really valuable. Um, yeah. So, you know, really going right into this idea, first of all, what is this buzzword that we often hear about in education? That was my and- first question. <laughs> what is executive functioning skills? It's like the hot new term. And I just, is it, is it like what ADHD was 10, 15 years ago? I mean, what, what, what is it and how, how, how do we understand it better? Right. So I, I think, first of all, just, you know, taking a step back, even from thinking about a diagnosis, um, executive functioning 
I think now really is at, at the forefront of a lot of our conversations in education, but um, the research in executive functioning skills has been going on for decades, so that's just one thing to know. Um, it's, not, it's not new necessarily, mm-hmm. it's just that really has become very much at the forefront of what we think about because without um, the basic skills that enable us to plan, organize, and follow through on tasks, nothing else come to fruition, right? So if you are, let's say, in school and you are an absolute brilliant reader and you can analyze really complex um, ideas and come up with, you know, brilliant points during a discussion, all of that's fantastic. But if you um, can't hand in your assignments on time, for instance, uh, you're not going to get a grade for that. So right. you're not going to really be able to show what you know, Right. Um, so executive functioning skills uh, really tap into our ability to make plans, keep track of time, uh, keep track of more than one thing at once, uh, engage in group dynamics, evaluate ideas, uh, finish work on time, ask for help, um, wait until we're called on in a classroom, uh, and seek more information when we need it. It really is... Um, fairly complex in terms of, you know, these are fairly basic skills. But well, we right, need that's the thing. It's complex, but at the same time, I mean, these are like everyday basic skills that we need to basically get on with our day. Right. So they're really important. They are. They're key. And in fact, um, you know, people who really study um, executive functioning skills and who develop programs such as the SCLAR process, which was developed by Mary D. SCLAR, is um, a program that many educators use to help kids with executive functioning issues. Um, You know, she really highlights the fact that executive functioning skills equals success in life, right? It basically is showing up on time, prepared, and ready to go with something. And I, I want to point to a book right away for parents that I think is really terrific. And I, I think the title is just so appropriate. It's Late, Lost, and Unprepared. A Love parent that. Guide. I need that book. <laughs> who who writes that lost? book? Late, Lost, and Unprepared. And Unprepared, A Parent's Guide to Helping Children with Executive Functioning. Um, it was written by Dr. Cooper Kahn and Dr. Lori Dietzel. And um, they're both psychologists. One of them has a child um, who has executive functioning weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I think they come really with a, a very um, friendly approach, both you know, as, as parents and as clinicians. Uh, so it's, it's a very nice read and an easy read, I think, for parents. So the title, I mean, it just sparks something in me when I hear late loss and unprepared. I mean, I have three kids. I have kids in my house all the time. And it's like, that title really could apply to many different children, and I'm sure that anybody listening today is either saying, my kid has this, or such and such has this, or I had this, because late loss and unprepared, I mean, how many kids today does this really apply to? So how can we tell, because, I mean, in reading a lot about this, and it's really it's an interesting topic for me, I read a lot about, how can we tell? if this is an executive functioning problem, or is this just a lazy kid today? Right. So I think, you know, the first thing to think about is that, you know, I've worked with kids now for over 15 years, and I can tell you that kids, for the most part, want to succeed. You know, a kid's job is really to succeed in school, right? For a good portion of their lives, this is their job, to go to school. Whether they like it or not, it is their job. 
And so if they're not succeeding, particularly if they're very young, you know, and, and already at, let's say, five years of age, they're going to kindergarten and there are lots of complaints, you know, I'm not, not happy to go to school, I don't want to do this, typically is because there's something that is happening during the school day that's not making them feel good and they're, they're not succeeding in. And so, you know, just to the point of, you know, how do you know whether this is a real issue or whether the kid's just lazy? Usually kids will start avoiding early on doing things that they're not good at, right? And so if you avoid doing things that you're not good at, you practice less. And if you practice less, you then don't become good at it, right? Right. So sort of like learning how to ride a bike. How do you learn how to do it? You get on, you're wobbly on it. You know, it takes a while for you to perhaps take off your training wheels, you know, and then sort of go, you know, on your own and feel comfortable and confident with it. It's the same thing with the skill of being a prepared, well-organized person who on the day of the assignment, you know, you can hand it in or you can deliver that speech um, or you can follow through with that task. It's the exact same thing. So for kids who really have organizational difficulties, often they'll start avoiding, you know, they'll avoid the task altogether. So let's say, um, you know, having to hand in assignments, if they start failing at that, um, maybe they start, uh, you know, going into coping mechanisms that are not necessarily helpful, but to them it, it at least removes the stress of that moment, such as, telling their parents that, you know, there was no assignment because they right. forgot to bring that, that assignment um, home, you know, and they don't want to hear from the parent, why did you forget it? Didn't we talk about this this morning? You know, why, why are you always doing this? Um, I don't think that kids really want to be not functioning um, at their optimal level. Um, and, and the way I can tell, you know, for instance, even the kids um, who come to us later on and they really have struggled in this area all their lives and maybe they also have another kind of learning issue such as, you know, a reading disorder or a math disorder, uh, something that really has stood in their way from succeeding. Um, you know, they might come in at 15, 16 and say, oh, I don't care. You know, I don't really care about my grade and so forth. But the minute they succeed, they're the first to, to run to me and say, Sharon, Sharon, look at, look at this test. Uh, you know, my teacher I mean, told you. You're right. To you're totally you. right. Because <laughs> deep down, they want to do well. And there's nothing better than a child themselves feeling like they succeeded. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot of, like, almost like protection, like they're, they're like, yeah, whatever, I, don't, I didn't have the assignment or whatever, it doesn't make a big difference. But all of a sudden they get that, that 90 that they were like, didn't think they could ever get, and it's the biggest deal in the world. Exactly, and it, and it is. And, I, and I, you know, again, I go back to the idea that I, I really truly believe kids want to succeed and that if they start to say things like I don't care, it's often about not wanting to um, have others Others think of them as less capable or as failures. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I, I wrote I wrote a list down from some of the um, from a website that I was looking at some of the things that I was reading, and I just want to read this to parents for some of the list because I just think it is again such a a, a term that is that parents are going to hear more this executive functioning disorder, and it's but it, at the same time there are so many simple tasks that I think parents just seem to think like oh it's just just my kid just not wanting to do this but these are some func these are some um functions of a child who is 
having executive functioning issues. So it says, is this your child? And it says, keeps a messy room and disorganized desk. Has difficulty following sequential instructions. Has trouble sitting still when others don't. Needs to be nagged repeatedly to get ready to catch the bus. Fails to complete assignments unless you're standing over him. Forgets to turn in homework even when it's completed. Loses things regularly from jackets to permission slips. Has a meltdown when it's time to clean their room. Has difficulty planning and managing time. Fails to control her impulse to lash out when frustrated. Forgets to pay attention to where she's going when talking on her phone. Engages in risk-taking or thrill-seeking behavior. So, I mean, I think these are behaviors that I bet you a lot of parents listening to this are saying, I never even thought of this. I just thought my kid was just being a tough kid or behavioral. And just... It, I, I just would like you to maybe explain, like, what – now, we, we talked about, like, these are some things to look out for, but, like, especially because you work in school, like, what is it that we can sort of bring to teachers' attention now that parents are aware and they're listening? I hope a lot of people are listening and sharing this interview because I think this is going on a lot more. I bet you it's a lot – if I had to guess, very underdiagnosed, and I hope it will become more diagnosed. But in working with a school, and, and that is something that you do, let's say that you're a parent listening tonight and they hear, like, this is really ringing a bell for them. Right. How can they bring this to their teacher's attention? And, and like, are there, is their teacher going to take them seriously? And how can their teacher take them seriously? What are some buzzwords and things that they can say to make this sound like we need help? Right. So I think the question, if I understand it correctly, is that, you know, rather than thinking this kid's lazy, what we're really honing in on is um, there's an issue here that's beyond laziness. There's a a neurobiological issue going on that is beyond this kid's control, because if Mm -hmm. this kid had control, they wouldn't live this way. Right. Yes. Um, so I think, first of all, because this bu- buzzword is so prevalent in schools, um, teachers are very aware of executive functioning as uh, a set of skills that kids need in order to to succeed in their classrooms, at least the ones that I that I work with. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I certainly think that in conversations between teachers and parents, we always want to create the win-win situation, right? Because we're all on the same team. We want absolutely to very important, very important, right? So, um, I think first, first of all, for parents to start to really note um, the series, the set of behaviors that they have been noticing, and how frequent have these behaviors been at home. Um, is really key to that conversation because that's where coming to that conference with the teacher to say, you know, I'm noticing all of uh, these behaviors and they've been frequent. And, in fact, now that I think about it, you know, it started as early as kindergarten. You know, it started with having difficulties getting out that door, you know, in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it started, you know, the other day I was talking to a teacher who said, you know, every day in kindergarten we all line up for lunch and right. everybody always has their lunch bag with them. And this student never has her lunch bag. Okay, that's right. a little bit of a red flag. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is now a routine, an established routine. Uh, visually, the student is seeing, you know, that others are doing it. 
Right. You know, it's a little bit of a red flag. I'm not saying it's very, you know, early on, but it's something to, to think about. To file away um, and say, I remember this. Right. right, to file away. You know, I mean, most people don't have executive functioning weaknesses across the board, you know, so it's sort of like a cluster of behaviors that is interfering enough with their daily functioning that we need to step in there and help them and, inter, you know, provide some very direct intervention and instruction to that student to help them out. So for instance, you know, with a parent who's noticing, gosh, this has been going on at home and it's really made life difficult, you know, to have a written list of those behaviors and to be able to come to a conference with teachers and say, you know, these are are things that we are noticing at home. What are you noticing at school? Mm -hmm. Because obviously if, you know, the kid isn't turning in homework at school on a fairly regular basis, that's that's going to be reflected in their report cards. So teachers are noticing that. Um, and, you know, to my mind, it's, it's not so much about focusing on the diagnoses as a teacher. It's more mm-hmm. about focusing on what are the behaviors that we're seeing. Right. Do we need to have an evaluation here? You know, is there enough of the observation um, red flags, you know, that we're really seeing, gosh, this is interfering with the student's ability to function, um, that we want to have more information from a psychologist or a, a psychiatrist um, as to what may be going on for this child. Um, and, you know, to really collaborate with teachers as to, okay, so these are, are the things that have been hard for this student. Um, and then to do what we call a task analysis, which is, you know, you take um, a task and then you break down what it takes to be able to, to do that task. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you have to write a paper, what are the, you know, seven main things you need to do to be able to write a paper, right? Typically it's picking a topic, it's um, doing research on that topic, it's creating an outline, um, you know, is creating uh, the initial, let's say, body for, for that um, essay that you're going to write. Um, so it's really about here's this big task, how do we break it down into manageable parts to be able to complete it? And that's so important because that's really where we start to figure out, first of all, what is this kid really struggling with? You know, it might be a a part of that task. You know, it may not be everything. It may be, for instance, I have, um, we have uh, at my Parent Research Center, we offer tutoring. And so we have kids, for instance, who are absolutely brilliant writers, mm-hmm. but they can't start, right, they can't initiate the task. They will literally freeze and sit in front of a computer. They're in high school now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't initiate the task. They literally need to have what we call verbal mediation. They need to talk about um, the ideas that they have for uh, this particular piece. Uh, you know, they need help uh, thinking about the topic. Organizing uh, their thoughts. Yeah, organizing their thoughts, writing an outline, you know, fleshing out a little bit more uh, on that outline where they want to go. So, um, you know, one of the things also that I, I see, and we had the pleasure of having dinner the other night, and something that I loved that you, and I want to mention it tonight, I loved a suggestion that you made was some of these kids, they're just, they're falling through the cracks because there's just, there's so many students in a classroom. I mean, and you're not, you're not there, let's say there's 20 kids in the average classroom, if it's less or more, depending upon the school, but it's like, how much could this teacher remember? I mean, your child sometimes is not the only child who has um, a disability or a struggle or something that's going on. And so 
what as parents can we do to suggest to the teacher? And I loved something you suggested, which was the exit ticket. And I'd love you to explain that to people because it's a great idea. Sure. And I will credit uh, Linda Ellis for this uh, because it was really the first time that I heard about an exit ticket. But it's the idea that kids can um, have a reminder, uh, let's say for a child who habitually forgets to take uh, important uh, texts home or assignments home or materials, et cetera, um, then they would um, have, uh, you know, let's say on an index card, five things that they have to remember to take home. And uh, let's say, you know, there, there are different ways to do this, but if you want the kid to use the same card and be able to check things off, maybe you laminate it so that it's really easy, you know, you can clean it off every, every day or have the child clean it off um, the next morning. But essentially the idea being that the child is checking off what they need to take home, make sure that it's in their backpacks, and so before they leave the classroom, they're handing that over to the teacher, and they're confirming, yes, I have all these things in my backpack. Right. I just, I think that that's so important. I know we talked a little bit about the fact that adults can have these um, struggles as well um, with their executive functioning skills. So teachers and parents, and it's something I want to hit on, I mean, is is executive functioning um, is that a hereditary um, disorder that parents pass on to their children? Do you often see that? Because it must be really difficult if you're a parent who has struggles with their executive functioning skills, and that's remembering all of these very important everyday tasks, and now to have the pressure of making sure that you need to now check in on your child and make sure they have their homework assignments and they're bringing home the right things, it's got to be really difficult. So I wonder, do you often see um, a correlation with, the, with adults and children? It's not unusual to have uh, an adult who struggles uh, themselves and a child who uh, then, you know, is, is we're evidencing that they're struggling. Um, it's also not unusual to see parent, uh, one parent struggle and the other parent being uh, extremely well organized and almost sort of manage the entire household and feel very exhausted and run down because of it. Right. Um, because they're sort of taking it on, you know, for those who have executive functioning weaknesses in the family. Right. Um, and, you know, what we do find is that typically one of two parents are struggling in this area. And, you know, so, so sometimes I will see a parent come in who's exceptionally um, strong with their, in most of their executive functioning skills uh, and don't quite understand why their child struggles so much. And so for them particularly, it's hard to do that piece of task analysis of really breaking down, you know, what is needed for this particular task because they're so automatic with it, you know, so mm -hmm. intuitive to them. Right. And they really don't understand why it's not intuitive for their child and that, you know, their child, in fact, isn't going to pick it up intuitively, even though they may have, you know, the color-coded materials and they may right. have the stickies. And as a parent, you're like, <laughs> I've done everything for them. Why aren't they right. doing it? So what do you say to those parents? Well, I think that it's one thing to have the materials at home, right? And it's another thing to actually have kids practicing on a daily basis on how to do it. And the, and the fact of the matter is that our lives are very busy these days. You know, we're mm -hmm. running very um, fast-paced homes for the most part. Um, you know, I hear of kids now in fifth grade who not only have high demands at school where they're easily reading two to three grade levels ahead, you know, right. advanced, um, 
and they also are engaging in sports and in um, musical with musical instruments. So they're home, you know, sometimes at nine o'clock at night um, after leaving, you know, at seven seven thirty a.m. for school, and that's an incredibly long day for nine-year-olds, yes, right? So when you're talking about a kid who has executive functioning weaknesses, you do need to consider as a parent how much can they do. You know, maybe you have more than one child, and maybe one child, you know, is great at having, you know, very long hours and being book solid day in, day out. But for a child with executive functioning weaknesses, it has to be considered how much can they really take on. Because typically um, what comes along with this particular weakness tends to be what we call working memory and processing speed. And working memory is basically one's ability to hold information in mind while completing a task. So let's say you say to me, Sharon, you know, I'd like you to come over for dinner on Saturday on this particular day at this particular time. So I've got to be able to retain that information long enough to be able to write it down or to put it in my Google Calendar. For someone who has working memory difficulties, they'll hear you tell them, you know, this is the day and the time, but then they'll forget the day and the time by the time they have to put that on the calendar, you know, so right. or it may be going down on the calendar incorrectly. And I mean, I know I can be very forgetful, and I, I definitely will laugh and say that my best friend is my personal assistant because she really is, <laughs> and I am so happy when her kid is in a class with me because I really rely on her to say, you know we have a field trip tomorrow. They have to wear red. They have to, you know, remember we have to bring a bag lunch or I'm, you know, I have three kids, I'm busy, and she just is really much better at it than I am. But it is good to have people that are in your corner. And another thing I love that you said is really just putting it in your calendar because we have our, our cell phones and they can be quite useful. I know that for me as, as a person who I, I bet struggles with executive functioning skills in, in listening to this and reading a lot about it, I set a reminder for all things that are important in my phone. And sometimes if possible, I'll set a double reminder. So mm-hmm. I'll set it for like the day before and then I'll set, like set it for like an hour before or half an mm-hmm. hour before if I have an important phone call because, you know, we get busy and, if we do have children in our lives that we need to now remember our schedule, our spouse's schedule, our kids' schedules, it is very overwhelming. So something like a reminder on our cell phone or our computer can be very, very helpful, and it's something that people really should utilize. It's, it's a good idea. Right. I mean, you know, what you just pointed to, I mean, you found a system that works for you, right? And you're an adult and you are a busy adult. You have uh, a job. You have three children. It's a lot to manage. So I wouldn't even necessarily say that, um, you know, you necessarily have an executive functioning weakness. I just think that it points to how much one has to manage, right, Right. in life. And so you found a system to be able to manage. But there are people who literally have no system. I mean, what we're Mm -hmm. seeing right now is really a very, very interesting uh, phenomena, which is, you know, I started working with um, this in this particular area and really interested, uh, got interested in this particular area because I suddenly got uh, referrals um, and the psychologists who were referring at the time uh, were asking, requesting that we work with kids who had organizational and study uh, skill de- deficits, and they wanted us to see them three or, for three or four sessions, and they felt, you know, this is going to do the trick. 
And, of course, it didn't, you know, because, right. first of all, when you're working with, you know, a, a high schooler, you know, by the time they're 15, 16, I mean, it took years for them to develop certain ineffective habits, right? So it's going to take some time not only to teach them very specific organizational tools and, you know, study habits and so forth, but also to help them change those habits, you know, help them truly create new routines because that's what it's about. You know, it's right. not just about having um, the tools, but also having certain routines. So you both have found a tool, which is um, the reminder on your uh, iPhone, um, right. and a routine, right? You know, okay, this is going to ring, you know, one day before. This is the noise it's going to make. So that's become a routine for you. And that's exactly what we try to do with kids, is to both give them the tools and put them on a routine, on a regular routine. So when you have kids, for instance, who are completely overbooked after school and they're part of, let's say, traveling teams, right, where mm-hmm. they don't know um, when certain things are going to be scheduled, you know, and games come up last minute, et cetera, that's yeah. going to be particularly very difficult for the kid right. who really struggles with um, keeping track um, of time and their assignments and their materials um, because they have to shift, um, you know. In, that transition in, is, can be very difficult. Very difficult. These kids particularly have very diff- a very difficult time with transitioning. So for them to even sort of unwind, you know, for them to transit, even transitioning from classroom to classroom, that's where things can fall through the cracks for them. So let's say they get very engaged and very focused in the lesson, and suddenly it's time to shift mindsets here, and you've got to quickly write down your assignment, you know, um, and pack all your materials and run to the next class, and you've got about three minutes to do all of that. That's when you know, often those kids won't write down the assignment or they won't write the assignment correctly. They won't, you know, com- write a com- uh, the, the complete um, assignment down so they come home right. and they're not quite sure what they need to get done. And I know another great thing in that uh, capacity is to um, have the teacher sign off on a homework book or agenda pad so that you're able to sort of bridge the gap for a child who is in a rush or forgetting so that their teacher is saying, you miss this or they're able to check in with the student to say, like, you forgot to write your homework down because they're in a rush or you only wrote half of it down because it is very hard for these students and it's hard for parents to keep on track and and maintain a good relationship with their child because they're not seeing them that much. With these kids' busy schedules today, they're leaving for school very early in the morning. They're doing their after-school activities or sports or music or whatever they're doing. They're coming home. Hopefully they're having dinner at least some part of the week as a family. So that homework time is such a difficult time, as it is for so many parents and students, that we want to just sort of be able to, not, like, cut out as much nagging as possible and making right. that, you know, and making that frustrated time sort of go away. And yeah. I just, I wonder from you, do you see, is there, like, an age or a grade where you start to see kids care more? Is it, do you feel that it's, when they're older and these skills sort of like they even though that they're it, they're struggling it's like it sort of starts to matter more to them do do you see that well matter to them in what matter way matter to them mean? because they want to succeed more in school because at first they're young and they're frustrated but 
as they get older, grades count and they care, right. they want to go to college or sure. when do you start to see kids? Well, I, I sort see of... kids always caring, you know, I never see them as not caring. But what I do see is that for these kids particularly, you know, maybe they're able to get by um, because, you know, they're charming, they um, have a homeroom teacher that they really connect with and the homeroom teacher really takes them under their wings, you know, and really mm-hmm. helps them by having, let's say, what we call check-ins. You know, I'm going to check in with you every morning, make sure that you have these things, or I'm going to check in with you at the end of the day, you know, make sure that um, you have your assignments written down, your materials in your backpacks. a lot easier to contain that when you are homeroom-based. Now, right. when kids go into sixth grade, often in schools, um, they do what's called departmentalization, which is that yeah. they're, um, you know, in the morning, they see their uh, advisor, and then they're off in the school building for the day. And so it's really about the history teacher being part of a department, the math teacher, the science teacher. So everybody is really um, departmentalized, uh, teaching in a very departmentalized way. And so for those kids in particular, that's where we see the, the issues um, with their Start to arise executive more. function functioning skills really flare up. It's not necessarily that they weren't there before, but now it's really reflecting much more so on their grades and on their capacity to manage, um, you know, the different uh, teachers, different teacher expectations, different materials. Uh, Some schools, um, you know, have tried that I know of uh, to adopt uh, one system for organization. Let's say they want to have all the assignments on a system called Moodle, and that's really fantastic because the idea being that, you know, here are your assignments for the evening or here are the assignments for the foreseeable, you know, two months so you can look ahead. Yeah, my school and, has an app, so we're able to have it on our cell phones and our iPads and right. able to see what's going on for, like you said, like during the week or next week and really exactly. wonderful. And it, it's wonderful and, it, and it's really, it really helps. Uh, students quite a bit. Where they struggle is that sometimes not every teacher is posting um, yes, that happens. consistently. And so, for again, for these kids, it's tough because um, having one system that they can consistently go to is key. Uh, you know, some, for instance, will jot down half of the assignment on the back of the history notebook, and then they're trying to look at Moodle, and it's not consistent. So, you know, the, one of the the things that to, can really help um, kids, I find, is self advocacy. That's really, truly the key. Um, you know, even if I don't think these weaknesses necessarily ever go away. I think when you have, well, and that's something that I wanted to. I'm glad yeah. you're bringing that up because the, you know you're saying it doesn't go away, and that is exactly what I read. So. <laughs> If they're not going away and you're saying that these children really, like you said, self-advocacy, which is so true, what is the hope for these kids? I mean, what for parents that are listening who are really just concerned about their kids, and it's not just about like a tough grade or, you know, it's eighth grade and they're not listening or they're not organized, but these kids are going to go to college one day and they're going right. to have jobs. I mean, we're raising our kids to become successful adults. Can mm-hmm. they go to college and lead successful lives, like what, is the, what is your prognosis on that? 
Um, I think that it's very positive because, first of all, we have uh, an online education system that's really uh, playing a larger role, and I foresee that it's going to play an even larger role when kids go to college in terms of what we call blended learning so that you'll get some of your education possibly online Mm -hmm. and some of your education on campus. And what I hear from older uh, students is that they love – the possibility of having some instruction online because it can go at their own pace. Um, And for the kids particularly who have the processing speed and working memory issues, that's key, right? Because we know they're bright. We know they're capable Mm -hmm. of getting through work. Um, The issue is really getting through work at the speed that they're expected to get through. And that's where those who have the executive functioning weaknesses uh, really struggle because, you know, the speed is what's really tripping them up. It's not that they can't um, acquire systems, that they can't be taught systems, but to be able to have that flexibility throughout the day is difficult. Um, so I think that there's enormous amount of hope. Um, I think that I love enormous... that. I hope that that is the future. I think that that's wonderful and really gives an opportunity for more people to, as you said, work at this, the speed of their choice. And I think that that's probably very needed. I wonder then, job-wise, what jobs would they succeed at most? And talking about it in a positive way, I mean, what, what, for the future, like, what should parents sort of help say to them, like, this is something that you can really succeed at and something be good at or something? Well, what what should we say? You know, I mean, first of all, what I would say and what I do say to parents is that, you know, no matter what the area of difficulty is for a child, you know, I do believe that that it's not about lowering the bar for kids. It's really Mm -hmm. about understanding how do I help you? You know, yep. how do I help you with this particular How do you be the best that, that you having? can be? Yes, exactly. And that that message should always be there, you know, that we should never just say, oh, you know, you can't do this, not a problem. I mean, I also Absolutely. see parents who become their child's, you know. Um, Safety net. Right. And, you know, we talk about executive functioning. We're talking about the frontal lobe and the development of the frontal lobe. And just to give parents an idea here, Martha Denkla, who's really the top of the top in this field and a, a wonderful neuro, neuropsych, um, neurologist, she um, talks about different, um, different time uh, phases in which we develop executive functioning. So by 15, you know, pretty much we've developed um, motorically. And it's sort of 15 years of age, you know, your mo- motor integration is pretty much developed. You're, it's good for life. Cognitively, uh, she says 25, you know, we've... Um, We've developed uh, strong cognitive skills that are good for life. Um, 35 is the age that um, she says our frontal lobes are matured uh, for social-emotional development. And I heard her speak in New York some years back. She actually is out of um, John Hopkins University uh, School of Medicine right now, but she used to work in New York. And I heard her speak in New York some years back where she said that, you know, she felt strongly nobody should um, be allowed to be married before the age of 32. (laughs) Unbelievable. I mean, (laughs) if if you're not matured till 35 and you're frustrated, that's amazing. Exactly. So she said, you know, our ability to really inhibit our actions, you know, to have strong emotions but inhibit our actions, you know, our our social-emotional development, um, that matures by the age of 35. 
And so, you know, in thinking about this trajectory, I think it's important because I do, you know, one of the things that she talks very, very strongly about is um, the idea of developmental readiness. You know, she really is a proponent to um, of, of looking at what are we asking kids to do and is it developmentally appropriate. So she talks about the fact that we should not be doing departmentalization when kids are in sixth grade, that that's actually not developmentally appropriate for them, and that we're seeing a lot more kids who have executive functioning weaknesses because we're asking our expectations are not developmentally aligned with where they are. And I think that that's something to be mindful of. You know, when we are looking at a kid and as a parent, you know, myself, I know that it's incredibly frustrating when I'm trying to get out the door and I'm asking my daughter to do all these things and she's struggling to do them and then I'm, you know, frustrated with her about that. But I think as parents, you know, it is important for us to also look at our kids and say, you know, think about what are their strengths and weaknesses because I guarantee they all have them. Absolutely. Um, to really sort of try to think about, yes, we want the best for them. We want them to uh, reach for things that, you know, maybe are a little bit of a stretch, you know, and have that motivation um, to persist and persevere. But, you know, what environments are we also placing them in that really are a goodness of fit with their temperament, with their strengths, um, you know, environments where they can uh, reach for things and succeed because we don't want repeated failure, right? And I when love that you bring that up. You're, it's, that's, it, I remind parents of that all the time, but you're so right, whether it's school or an after-school activity or wherever it is, putting your kids in a, a place where they're going to flourish and succeed is good parenting. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, and I think that that's always a, a tricky balance. It is. Because, you know, I, I am a, a believer in um, the fact that kids do need to learn skills directly, uh, that, you know, yes, some may be able to acquire reading, writing, and, and math um, in, in much more, in much less structured ways, but for the, by and large, kids do need some level of direct instruction to acquire, let's say, spelling, you know, correct spelling and correct um, skills that they're able to apply um, that will help them later on. So, for instance, if you're learning how to read and you don't really learn how to um, phonetically break down a word ever, if your reading is all by sight, meaning that you're memorizing words to be able to read them, eventually you're going to run across that word, you know, multisyllabic word that you're, we've never seen before. And so, you know, having the ability to really break down that word is going to help you, right? So that's kind of a very early on skill. So having these skills be taught to you directly, I think, is a benefit early on. Um, but we also don't want to take the joy out of learning, um, out of childhood, because kids really are primed to learn. You know, they love to learn. They want to be successful in their learning experiences. And that's why I say to you, you know, I don't really look at kids and think you're lazy. I mm -hmm. look at kids and I think, you know, if you're looking this way, unmotivated, uninterested, what happened Why? earlier on to you? That's right. Um, well, that, it, yeah, that is so true. It's like, well, we have to ask ourselves why, and it's so interesting. I just was, um, I was interviewed on Fox on Friday um, on Fox News, and it was about, I don't know if you read about this, but it got a lot of press about this mother from, um, I believe it's Florida, who her son made honor roll, um, even though he got 
it was like a C or a D in one of his subjects, and he still made honor roll. And she was fighting with the school because he made honor roll. She wasn't happy that he made honor roll because he didn't do he didn't do well and didn't get a good grade in one of his classes, and she didn't feel that he deserved it, and she felt that it was going to be detrimental to her um, in trying to get him to get a better grade in this class. Um, and it, I was so excited to talk about this when they asked yeah. me what side I was going to take. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got this one, <laughs> because I just was so, um, first of all, to think that a mother would, this child clearly is doing well in all of his other subjects if he made honor roll because he, he's succeeding everywhere else. And children could have deficiencies. And if they're making up for it in all their other subjects, it would show me that they are obviously maybe, you know, struggling in one area. And so maybe they're more English social studies based as opposed to a math based or science based and and that struggle shouldn't mean that they shouldn't be rewarded if they're really trying their hardest and obviously getting A's or A pluses or whatever it was that he was getting in his other classes and to think that parents that this vision of perfection is something that parents really struggle with and it was just so upsetting to me because yeah no i i can understand and you'll read about it and you know anyone that's listening i mean it's it's, it was all sure all over it was was in the news a lot but just was really frustrating to think that this mom wouldn't see the bigger picture that like you know obviously that he's succeeding and exceeding succeeding and that it, maybe it's not about that laziness. Like, what else is there? And let's ask ourselves why, right. um, if we're doing so well in, in, this, in many areas. Sure. What is it? Because clearly sure. this isn't a lazy child. Right. So, and this is interesting. You know, it's a very interesting uh, point that you're bringing up. Um, that, to me, is a red flag, you know, that somebody would be getting uh, pretty much straight A's and, uh, let's say, a C right. in a, another subject area. Um, but ha- having said that, I also think that uh, what you point to, the idea that, you know, these kids have to get A's in absolutely everything, um, and the fact that that's such a, a disconnect with, with real adult life. You know, in real adult life, we have to be good at one thing, right? If right. you're an excellent surgeon, if you're an excellent attorney, if you're an excellent teacher, it's not that you don't need multiple skills to be able to do that, but you know, you're not necessarily up on your organic chemistry, you know, if you are uh, fighting big cases in court. Um, right. You know, so, so it's, it's very interesting because, you know, we do have kids who, who are questioning that very thing. You know, why do I need to spend six hours figuring this out in my, this my particular child, subject what, area? <laughs> He's when already asking me that. This? When am I ever using this? I don't like it now. I promise you I'm not going to like it in 10 years. This is a waste of my time. I have a lot of other things I could be doing. You know, so I'm sure him and, and many well, others. Well, you know, your son might have a point. I mean, there's a lot of research coming out of Stanford University uh, School of Education talking about how we should follow kids' interests. That, in fact, right. you know, the, 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 the real movers and shakers. I'm going to have to print that shakers, one out for him. <laughs> yeah, real movers and shakers and innovators in our society are not necessarily the straight-A student. I you know, know that I'm going to go find that article because I want to post that. That's great. So, well, I, I want to thank you so much. I, we're just about out of time, but we really covered so much. I really am happy that we got to cover everywhere from children to adults and jobs and, 
it's not just about just school and getting through school. It's really just taking kids from school to the next step. I know that when I asked you at first when we sat down and I, I wrote it down because I loved it, I said, what is executive functioning skills? And you said, executive functioning is being the CEO of your own life. And I said, I must mention that tonight because it was so true. I mean, it just, it, it you're really just, making sure that you're just in charge of absolutely everything in in your life and making yourself successful um, in the best way possible. So I just, sure. I love that. I know parents are listening tonight and I hope sharing this with a lot of friends because I think that there was a lot of things that we covered that really probably touched them, touched upon things that parents are saying, this really is ringing a bell for me. So I think that we gave a lot of helpful tips and advice and if you just want to if there's any resources or anything that you want to tell parents I'm sure that people would love to hear it um, so well thank you again us. for having me on it was such a pleasure uh, I could talk about this forever clearly <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know it's, it's wonderful to to be able to reach a, an audience on this and hopefully uh, some thoughts were helpful tonight I like to point parents to a couple of resources one of them being LD online there's some wonderful articles about executive function and other areas and topics relevant to education um, and as I mentioned the late loss and unprepared book um, certainly uh, a very, I think, Buying good resource. It tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I run my Parent Resource Center. You can find information about my organization online at uh, Maya M A I A A N Y C dot com, and that's Mentoring Alternatives to Inspire Academic Achievement, New York City uh, dot com. So, at any rate, thank you so much for having me uh, thank tonight, Thank you, Sharon, Stephanie, for joining us. You were amazing and knowledgeable as always. Your advice, your experience, everything tonight was so wonderful, and I know that it was really helpful to our listeners today. So any questions for tonight's show, please feel free to visit The Coffee Clatch, www.thecoffeeclatch.com, or my website, www.askstefanie.com, or you can tweet me at Ask Stephanie, and I know you can tweet Sharon as well at Maya, M-A-I-A-A-N-Y-C. Is, is that right? Right, New York City. Okay. New York City. Great. So thanks again for having uh, for being on the show and I'm so glad that we had you and this definitely is a topic that we will be hearing more about executive functioning skills. Um thanks again for for being with us and thanks good night. Thank you. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.